for the reading of God's word. This morning's passage is found in Colossians, starting in chapter 1, verse 24. Now rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. This is the word of God. Please join me in prayer. God, I pray you would bless Pastor Kyle, speak through him, fill him with your spirit. And God, I pray that spirit would fill each of us as we listen to your word this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome back, everyone who may have been traveling for the holidays. It's so good to be with you all this morning. Um, So a little bit of, of information about what I'm like. When I get hurt even a little bit, I'm kind of a baby. Who, el- who else is like that? You're a little sick. You need a lot of nurture and care and stuff. So um, the other day, I, I slammed my finger um, in a door. You see? So if I don't preach that well this morning, it's because <laughs> I have a boo-boo. So I apologize ahead of time. <laughs> but it's so wonderful to be with you all. I did want to remind you, we did talk about this a little bit already. Um, But on January 26th, we are having our normal sort of uh, potluck gathering. Um, But January 26th is a special day for for two reasons. One is we're going to be celebrating our fifth year anniversary as a church. Um, We launched five years ago. And I I don't remember the exact, it was in January, I don't remember the exact date, um, but it was in January. Was was it the third Sunday we started? Yeah, okay. So you you seem confident about this, so I'll take your word for it. So, so yeah, so this is going to be the fifth um, year anniversary for us. So that's going to be really exciting. Um, we're going to have some probably some special treats and different things to celebrate that day. But w- what I particularly want to point out to you is after church that Sunday, we are going to have a, a sort of a meeting um, to discuss some important things with regards to the future of our church. And these are good things, by the way. So, um, But we, we, we're just hoping that everyone can come. If you consider this your church, if you're a member... Um, 
Um, if this is just in your mind as your church home, we'd love for you to just stay. Um, make it a point. Put it on your calendar. It's very important um, for us um, to discuss some of the things that we're, we're going to talk about our future with. So if you could just write January 26th down um, in, your, um, in your book or in your iPhone, whatever it is that you use um, to, to keep your schedule, write that down. And we're going to have a, um, during the service, we're going to have a celebration service for our anniversary. And then we're going to have some, some important um, vision for the future and how you, you guys might be involved with that. So ja again, January 26th, write that down. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, um, and now let's, uh, let's continue on to our sermon and if you would all just join me one more time um, for prayer. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that it's, that it's alive, that it's active, that it convicts us, that it directs us, that it instructs us. And I pray now, Lord, that you would just bless us now as we, we come to you to seek um, to hear from you. And not just to hear from you, but to be instructed by you, to believe you and to do what you say. So, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, give us um, eyes to see and ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. So I hope that you all, um, when you come to church, if you can, um, um, try to bring a Bible with you. It's very important. Uh, I, I'm, this is the, uh, a thing that I'm convinced about, that it's, it's better to have an actual one than, than one on your phone. And that's not to judge you if you're using your phone. But it, it just helps you navigate through like where things are and understand the flow and the narrative of Scripture when you actually ho are holding it. So I just want to encourage you, if you have one, to bring it with you. And if you don't have one, um, I'll definitely get, get you one um, for you. You guys have all probably heard of St. Patrick. Um, we're, not, we're a couple of months away from the, the time of year where we celebrate him. But there was a, um, a hymn that he wrote that I wanted to share with you. And a little bit about St. Patrick, if you don't know anything about him, he was the first missionary to Ireland in the 5th century, so the 400s A.D. He is credited to be one of the first, if not the first person, to introduce the Irish people to Christianity. So he's highly respected in all three branches of Christendom. And if you don't know what those are, those would be the Roman Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, and the Protestant Church, which we're a part of. So, so St. Patrick is really venerated and respected uh, amongst, uh, across the board, uh, no matter where you land on the Christendom spectrum. Um, as the Roman Empire started to collapse, <clears throat> along with what collapsed with her were her libraries. And I don't know if you realize this, but um, as, as the Roman Empire collapsed and the, the, uh, the um, barbarians were taking over and things were sort of decaying, um, a lot of their libraries were neglected and destroyed. Um, and Ireland sort of stepped in under the, the leadership of St. Patrick, uh, to not only preach the gospel, to but, but to preserve what were ancient pieces of Western literature. Um, some people, uh, even one man even wrote a book, his name is Thomas Cahill, called How the Irish Saved Civilization. Some people credit the Irish for actually having preserved what we know today as classic Western literature. Um, but underneath this, movement of life and preservation was a, a vision from St. Patrick, a vision of life. And it was his rule of life. It was, the, it was basically the way that he understood how to live and what is the most deeply, richly satisfying way of life. Um, a mystery sort of revealed to people around him. And he writes this um, in one of his pieces of literature. He says, and, and some of you 
may have heard this written in songs. It's very popular. It's been repeated over and over again. So this is not maybe your first time hearing this. But he says, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, and Christ in every ear that hears me. You see, for St. Patrick, he was obsessed with Jesus, saturated inside and out from his head to his toes with Christ. Christ, for St. Patrick, was the mystery of a full life revealed. Jesus immersion. Everything about his life was filtered through Christ. Now, we are in a series that we're calling Supreme Jesus, and in it we're going through a letter in the New Testament called Colossians, and the Apostle Paul is writing to a church in a Greek town, a city called Colossae. And we've called this, this series that we're in Supreme Jesus because the message of Paul in Colossians is just this, that Jesus Christ is absolutely supreme. He's supreme over the universe and that he created all things. He's Lord over salvation and that he supplies what is the problem of our separation from God. So that we've noted that Christ is the fullness of God and therefore the means to reconciliation with God and finding the life we've always wanted but looked everywhere else for. <clears throat> so Paul now starts in the text that we've, we've just read to you He's unpacking two issues. He just, if you remember where we've been in this, in this book, is that he's, in this letter, Paul has described Christ as the Lord, the creator, the sustainer, and not only that, the savior, the provider of reconciliation to us with God. But, but now Paul is starting to unpack the implications of what this means for believers. And he's doing two things in our text that I don't know if you might have picked up on. He's really defining, the first thing is that he's defining what is the job of the minister of Christ. So you might say, okay, that's the apostle's job, and maybe we can equate Kyle's job to that. So that's your job, Kyle, and it is. But it's also every member of the, church is, every member of the church's job. If you call yourself a Christian, you are a minister of Christ. Now, I have a particular responsibility to devote my life full-time vocationally to this in a unique way, but that doesn't mean that every other member of the church is off the hook for being a minister of Jesus Christ because we are all these things. So just because Paul, I think, is speaking to pastors in particular, we, also, we need to listen up to remember that we, we all pastor on a certain level, maybe not capital P. We pastor our children. We pastor people at our workplace. We pastor our family members. We pastor each other, in a sense, as members of the body of Christ. So we need to take these things seriously. So Paul is describing what his job is, but number two, in the description of what his job is, we learn actually what is the goal to the Christian life. Why did God save us? What's the purpose of salvation coming to us? We're given our daily aim as believers. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ... This is why God has given you faith to trust him. 
why God has revealed himself to you in the first place. You know that Jesus is not irrelevant to life. He's not simply a promise that you won't go to a bad place when you die. Right? Jesus is more than that. He gives us life now, N-O-W, now. He wants us to begin life moment by moment, day by day, saturated, immersed with him. And this is what Paul teaches us. The mystery of a real and full life revealed. And the first way it comes to us, according to this passage, and this might not seem like good news, and I wish sometimes that it weren't the case, but the way to life is through loss. The way to life is through loss. And we read this in verse 24. Let's be reminded of what it says. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. You see that word suffering. I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh that suffering, what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his church. Now this is very interesting and it might appear to be a little bit odd if you're paying attention to what he just said. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in Christ's afflictions. Is he, does he seem to be implying that Jesus didn't do everything at the cross? That somehow we're filling in the rest? It might seem a little odd that he might say or imply that Christ's death and resurrection lacks something. But, but secondly, it might seem odd that it's our suffering that somehow fills in whatever is lacking. Right? That it's not like something cool, like going to Disneyland that fills it in. Something glorious, something pleasure-filled. But somehow our suffering is the way that we sort of continue the work of Christ at the cross, and then that's a good thing. Now we know Paul. Do, we know what Paul doesn't mean here, and this we got to make clear. He does not mean that the suffering of Jesus on the cross is insufficient on its own to reconcile us to God. That somehow we are half forgiven or half accepted, and we need to do the rest to be fully accepted. We know that because in many places, but one, for example, is in Hebrews chapter 10, which reads, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once and for all. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You see? Even in this verse, we're getting a clue as to what Paul means in Colossians. But what Paul is saying, excuse me, what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is that Jesus Christ's death is what saves us, is what forgives us. You see, we don't add to that by being good or by suffering or whatever it is that you think or, you, or we tend to add to that list. But no, according to the, the writer of Hebrews and Paul and many other places, the work of Christ is finished, it is done. So when Paul mentions that he fills up in his flesh what's still lacking in Christ's suffering, he means that basically that there is a suffering to come for every Christian that is sanctifying. And what I mean by that word sanctifying is that it is a growth agent. You see, what Paul means here is that when we come to faith in Jesus, the, the, the life of Christ continues on in us, not to save us, but to make us more like him. 
You see, because we're already saved, but now we're in a process of growth. So he means that there's a suffering to come that's associated with growth in the Christian life through our service to Jesus and to each other. It's not a suffering so that we'll be forgiven of our sins. That's already been accomplished. But it's a suffering to be purged from them in our experience, to grow into his likeness more fully. You know, James says this a little bit differently, and maybe this will help explain what Paul means. James chapter 1, you might have heard this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. See? The trials of life test our faith, and therefore they're a passage to greater Christ-likeness. You see, that is what suffering in Christ accomplishes for the believer. And it might seem to be ironic here that suffering in Christ is the medium to a full and meaningful life. But Jesus says it plainly, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Oh, what amazing words those are. Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. That seems so backwards, so ironic, that we start to give up things for Jesus, that we hold dear and treasure. We surrender our will, and each time we do, it causes us pain. But when we do, we find life on the other side because we find our Savior there. To be in Christ and to enjoy the pleasure of his presence comes through self-loss and the preference of Christ and his people before yourself. I'll say that again, and I think we'll put it up on the screen too here. To be in Christ and to enjoy the pleasure of his presence comes through self-loss and the preference of Christ and his people. You see, Paul's loss, let let me explain to you what I mean. Paul's loss, what he's talking about here, now I rejoice that I'm suffering for you. He's losing something for the sake of someone else. Paul's loss is not only useful to, to lift his own faith like we learned it would in James, right? It tested his faith, it grew his faith. But according to Paul here in Colossians, his loss isn't only useful to help him grow in Christ, but it's useful to help the church grow. You see, for whoever, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his church. Now, I don't want you to miss this because this, this is so important. He says he suffers not just for himself, but so that the church, God's people, can grow into greater likeness of Christ. And such is the call of every shepherd, every pastor, and every Christian to sacrifice themselves for the growth of their brothers and sisters in Christ. My life is your life. My health is your health. That's what this means. My holiness is your holiness. 
you, you remember when Jesus said, if you give a, a cup of cold water to, to the least of these in my name, you've given it unto me? Right? You see, friends, to give to you is to give to Jesus. To, to sacrifice my own will and agenda, to say no to sin, serves the holiness of God's people in your growth. And it's not just mine. It's not just the pastors. It's each and every one in here. Now let's get real now. I want to give you an example of what I mean by this. Let's say I deny myself something that I want because I know it's offensive to God and his will, right? So I, I, in the lust of my heart, I want something but I deny myself. Maybe, let's say, it's viewing pornography under the cover of night. I'm being tempted, and I'm feeling this desire to satisfy my flesh. But because of my love for Jesus, I deny my flesh, and I say no to it. And I incur the discomfort and the pain that comes from saying no to my flesh. How many people have ever said no to your flesh? It's not always easy, is it? It's hard. You want what you want. Oftentimes, psychologically, emotionally, you feel wrapped up. I have, if, I, if I'm to feel good about myself, I need to do this. So it's an emotional answer oftentimes that we choose to do these things. So when I deny my flesh, though, I'm always, I'm always in this place where I'm putting on myself discomfort and pain. When I bear the grief and I say no to sin and I turn to Christ's word and prayer for strength and health, help, when I deny myself this, this service, what I've just done, serves three things. Okay? The first thing is it honors Christ. It serves Jesus. I've honored him, his will, and his purpose for my life. It gives praise to Jesus. It also serves to promote my own happiness and life in Christ. I've served myself by saying no to myself. I serve Jesus. I serve myself. But you know who else it serves? You. You're not even there. You're not even in the room, but according to Colossians chapter 1, it serves you. It serves every single person in this room. That means something very simple, that when I sin against God and I sin against myself, I sin against his people. You say, well, I had nothing to do with them. They weren't even in the room. Oh, but friends, we're a body, the body of Christ. When the hand suffers, the foot suffers. My finger suffers, <laughs> Right? My whole body, when I smashed this thing, I was keeled over in pain on the floor. It hurt that bad, right? So my whole body, my, the rest of me wasn't glad, and this was whimpering over here, right? It, my whole person was affected. And friends, when I sin in private, the church is injured in public. You have to realize that you have to know the, the, how spiritually connected we are in Christ as his body. To honor Jesus in private is to serve the church universal. To pray in my closet when no one sees is to serve the spiritual health of everyone not seeing. Right? So in my Christ-centered self, in my Christ-centered self-denial is our life made more full and satisfying. Does that make sense? The mystery of full life is through suffering and self-denial, and number two, by Jesus' immersion. And this is in verses 25 through 29. Let, let me review a little bit of that text. 
so, we, so you can remember some of the context here. It says, I become its servant. Paul says, I become your servant by the commission of God that he gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages but now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Now let's, let's, um, let's, start, let's pick up the pace. Let's run together. You guys want to run? Okay. He is the one we proclaim so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend. Okay, Paul's job, what he's saying here, is that his job is to present the word of God to the church. My job is to present the word of God in its fullness to you. Right? And that means that your job is to not only present it to each other, like I'm presenting it to you, but to receive it and to believe it and obey it. Right? I'm not, I'm not just wasting breath up here. The purpose that we're here together is to hear God's word and to apply it to our lives, to say yes to it. This is going to direct the way I live my life in its fullness. So Paul's job is to present the word of God to the churches in its fullness, not his opinions, not what he thinks, not what he wants in life. He is to present God's holy word. And you know how God's word is explained in the Bible? It's amazing. According to scripture, God's word endures forever. It endures forever in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. It's living and active in Hebrews 4.12. It doesn't return empty, but always accomplishes what, it sets, what God desires in Isaiah 55. The word was in the beginning with God, and the word was God in John chapter 1, right? It gives life according to Jesus in John 6. It sanctifies, that means it makes us more like God in John 17, 17. And according to um, um, Jesus in Matthew 4, man lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man lives, our, we, our life is satisfied, nurtured, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. His words in Psalm 12 are flawless. They are refined like silver and gold. You know, the word of God says in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing the word of God. So that if your faith is weak or small, to hear God's word is to grow your faith. God's, God's word is God-breathed in 2 Timothy 3.16. It's a lamp to our feet and light to our path. It directs us, it guides us in Psalm 119. In Luke chapter 11, blessed are those who hear these words and obey them. Not just hear them, but hear them and obey them. Blessed are you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever in Isaiah chapter 40. And how about you remember that amazing poem in Psalm chapter 19, I, I believe it was the one that C.S. Lewis called the greatest poem ever written, <laughs> right? The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statues of the Lord are tr trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. They are more precious than gold, than much fine gold. They are sweeter than honey than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. 
and in keeping them is great reward. See, that's the word of God that Paul says, I am preaching to you in full because this is the transforming power of God. The chief job of every minister of the gospel is to deliver to his people his word in its fullness. And the chief discipline of every follower of Jesus is to hear that word and to obey it. Because in it there is great reward. You know that in the Colossian church there was this heresy floating around that said you could be, have this, if you had this mystical experience, then you would have known this fullness of life. You see, now you understand why Paul might be using some of the language that he's using. And he's saying, listen, if you want fullness of life, you need Jesus' immersion, not some mystical experience. You need Christ. <clears throat> Paul says that the mystery of the fullness of life is Jesus. And you say, wait, hold on. I thought you just said it was the word. Well, it's both. Jesus is the word. The glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't that incredible? Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know that, that, that you see this word mystery in this text a lot? It's, it doesn't mean something that we can't understand. It means something that we didn't understand, but now do understand. You see, it was a mystery before, but now it's not. So it's not in the sense that only some kind of spiritual elite class can understand how to live this sort of life. No, it's given to the simple and provided to us by Christ himself. The mystery then is that Jesus, who is the word which was in the beginning, the one that dwelt among us in the flesh, now, by faith in him, dwells in us. Isn't that incredible? And if you're really going to be blown away by this, I have to give you some of the context here. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is Paul talking about here? Well, I'm glad you asked. Since the fall, humanity has been banished from the presence of God. That's what we learn all throughout Scripture. Mankind has been expelled from God's perfections and from his righteousness because of sin. And we see this in the Old Testament narrative in so many different ways. The first time we see it is in Genesis chapter 3. Remember, Adam and Eve sin against God, and they're expelled from the garden, remember? And two angels are guarding the, the entrance. It's a symbol of that is where the presence of God is, and because Adam and Eve are now sinners, they can't be in his presence. In Exodus chapter 3, if you recall, God tells Moses to build a tabernacle, which is like a tent. And inside this tent, there's a smaller tent. And that's sort of like the new Garden of Eden, God rests, his glory rests in that tent. And Moses and nobody is allowed to go in there. There's a big veil that separates them. Only the high priest can go into that tent. And only after making various sacrifices, which, by the way, if he did wrong, would be struck dead instantly. You remember Uzzah in the Old Testament touched the Ark of the Covenant and he was struck dead instantly. Because God is holy and righteous and cannot exist in the presence of sin. Do you remember, too, when Moses approached the burning bush, God told him to take his shoes off because he was on holy ground. He couldn't even touch the sin. Something from the world could not touch something that God had touched. Does that make sense? And then Solomon finally replaces that big tent, the tabernacle, with something called the temple. 
which is basically the tabernacle made with bricks, something that's permanent. So Solomon builds this, and then the, the Shekinah glory, the presence of God, moves from, from the Garden of Eden to the tabernacle and now to the temple. And the same thing is going on in the temple. There's another little kind of house in that temple where the glory of God rests. And again, nobody is allowed to enter into that temple or into that inner place with, except the high priest having gone through various sacrifices. So what's clear in the Bible is that when sin enters the world, wherever God was uniquely present, man cannot be. Man cannot approach God or be in his presence because of sin. So the temple was always a place we were not allowed to be. All throughout the Old Testament narrative. The mystery that Paul is talking about here now is that in our experience by faith in Jesus Christ as objects of his superabounding love and grace and favor, having been cleansed and forgiven by the power of the word, the inner place in the temple moved from, from that inner place to you and I. You are the temple. You are the resting place of God by faith in Jesus. Isn't that unbelievable? A place where if a... a you, that means something very simple to me. That in the Old Testament, if someone were to touch you, they would instantly be struck dead. The holiness of God resides in you. Now, we're in a New Testament and a New Covenant, so those things don't apply anymore. But friends, think about the implications. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Your body is now, according to Paul in another place, the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. That's who you are. Whether you feel like it or not, by faith you have been cleansed and made God's temple. So the mystery that is now our experience as objects of God's superabounding grace through faith is that we are the dwelling place of God. The death and resurrection of Jesus declares repentant sinners righteous so that you are actually and legally holy. And Paul says this all over the place. You are holy. That's why we call each other saints. Because we are saints. Saint Kyle. When Christ finished the work of salvation at the cross, the temple moved from a building to a people. Isn't that fantastic news? God has chosen to make known his glorious riches to those who were once far off, to those without God and without hope in Ephesians chapter 2. And that is the mystery of life, of real life. That God is in us, sinners. That he is forgiven and he is one with us again. That God would bring near these to himself, Christ in them, the hope of glory. By faith, friends, you are in Christ and he is in you. Therefore, if anyone in the, is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. In Romans chapter 8, but if Christ is in you, you're in Christ and he is in you. If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life. So, Paul says, he is the one we proclaim so that we might present everyone fully mature in Christ. What he's saying here now is this, that we need to walk the person that we are. We need to look like the people that we are. So he says in Ephesians 4, walk worthy of the call that you've been called. 
You are forgiven. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So walk like it. Look like it. Be filled with the fullness of Christ, it says. Fully mature in Christ. That's the work that Paul toiled for, that God's people would live out the implications of what it means that Christ is dwelling in them. To be filled with the fullness of Christ like a cup, like our souls were a cup, filled up only with Jesus, and not half Jesus and half our will and half everything else. Right? Not diluted. The Bible says that there are some mature Christians and some newborn Christians. The goal is for all of us not to remain infants, but to grow. So that, like Jesus said in John chapter 10, we might have life to the fullest. Christ, the Word. When we hear and do His Word, He fills us, He directs us, He blesses us, He satisfies us, He completes us. That is what Jesus' immersion is. He gets every little part of us. He fills us up. So the mystery of a full life is then through suffering, through Jesus' immersion, and then the consequence is that we know God. This is the the third thing I want to say. This is in verses 1 through 5. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Oh, that you would know Christ. Oh, that you would breathe him, that he would be to your left and to your right, that you would surrender every decision to him. Everywhere he sends you, every tragedy he brings you, every blessing he gives you, that you would surrender it to Christ. You see, that's what Paul is saying here, to be filled up with Christ. Growth in the Christian life, this fullness, this completion that he's talking about comes when we're encouraged in heart and instructed in love. So the goal of the spiritual life simply stated, if that sounds a little confusing to you, it's to know God. It's to love God. It's to love His Son. To know Jesus is to know God. And it's to know yourself. And it's in Him that we find all the treasures of wisdom that we've been looking for all along. Just in the wrong place. When you know Jesus... It's, it's interesting here. Did you see it? I didn't say it. You have complete understanding. Complete understanding. It's not to say that we know everything. It's not to say that we know why everything happens the way it happens. Only that we know the one who does. That's complete understanding. To be plugged into the person who does. Friends, if you got sick and you were a doctor, and you knew what was wrong, you wouldn't really worry all that much, right? Isn't that true? But if you got sick and you're not a doctor, it's lupus. It's got to be, right? You're George Costanza. Everything is going to, you got two, two days to live, right? So if, if you're not a doctor and something goes wrong, you might start getting a little nervous. But then what do you do? You go to a doctor, to a person who does know. Now, they can tell you all the fancy reasons why you're going to be okay that you won't understand. Isn't that true? 
we don't need all that. We don't need our mechanic to tell us what's wrong with the Cadillac converter. I don't even know what that is. Can you fix it? Yes, I can. Okay, thank you. I'm calm now. Isn't that true? You see, friends, we don't understand everything about life, but we understand the one who does. We, under, we understand the one who makes a promise to us that he's in control, that he's leading us and guiding us and loves us. You see, complete understanding, Paul calls riches. That is a wealth. To know the one who knows it all is a wealth. We don't know everything. We know the one who does. It's in him and through him. He knows him that we know ourselves, that we can trust him and everything else that happens to us. And let me close with just saying one more thing. This leads us to really what is the goal of real life. And he says it in verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. So how do you nurture this, what I'm talking about? Well, now he tells us, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Friends, if you've received him, continue in him. Don't forget him. Don't remember him for an hour a week. Consider him daily in prayer, in the word. Build your faith and fellowship with each other. Call each other. Fellowship with each other. Join a small group. Get into your prayer closet. You see, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Christ Jesus needs to be received as Lord. That is master. He's Lord over everything. He's absolute authority of every single thing in this universe, including myself. We need to receive him as Lord, creator and savior, the center of life, the revelation of the mystery of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Friends, the Christian life demands that we continue what was begun, okay? To live in him. Not to forsake him. Not to follow our own wills or the patterns of our own lust. We're not to listen to human wisdom over God's word. We're to trust and follow and continue in him. That's the tree of life. That's where we find ourselves and our souls and our happiness. And we need to send our roots deep down into that. Deep down into what he said into the promises that he made. Can you understand now maybe a little more why St. Patrick said, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down. Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in the eye of everyone that sees me, and Christ in every ear that hears me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we ask, Lord, that Christ would fill us and that we would seek you that our roots would be in Christ, our Savior and Lord. 
that we would cast our cares on you, that we would listen to you no matter what you tell us to do, and that we would trust you with everything in our lives. If you want us to be single, that we would be single. If you want us to be married, that we would be married. If you want us to sell our homes, that we would sell them. If you want us to move, that we would move. Whatever it might be, God, I pray, Lord, that Christ would be our Lord, that we would listen to him and find ourselves and life at the same time. God, we thank you so much for this church. We pray, Lord, grow us. Let us see people come to faith in Jesus Christ, our friends, our neighbors, our family. Help us to be witnesses to the gospel of Jesus. Help us to trust that you have the power to, to let every, anyone know, even the most hardened person, that Christ loves them and died for them in their place. I pray for our town, for Warren, for Bristol, for Barrington, for Swansea. God, would you grow the town? Help, them, help many people to come to believe in Jesus. Bless the churches that are, that are sharing the gospel around us. God, New Hope and Mount Hope um, and Stone Coast and all these different places in this community that are sharing the gospel faithfully, radiant. God, I pray, Lord, give us strength. Help us to not grow weary. Help us to continue. I pray, Lord God, that you would be with us now. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, friend, if this is the first time you're hearing about him, know that he died for sinners like us and that when you put your trust in him, he gives you life and forgiveness. He reconciles you with God and he gives you an eternal hope. So friend, just cry out to him, turn from him and follow him as Lord and Savior and you'll be saved. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for all that you've done. And we pray now as we participate in our communion that we would remember well the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.